just pixel level changes can have an enormous impact on um, how people consume the page and use the product. And even if an experiment uh, is, is a failure, like that's a learning in some way that can feed into future work that we do. To them, it just seems like the search results appeared a lot faster than they usually do. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, let's sit down right. right here. So, Irene, welcome to Zerb. Super excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. And let's just get right into it. What what is it that what are you working on right now? What what are you doing right now? <laughs> well, so my role at Google is um, I run the user experience team at Google. We work on all of uh, Google's brand uh, Google branded um, services and products, and so that includes search, Gmail, Docs, all those things that you named. Um, so. You know, we're working on a variety of stuff. I mean, you name it, everything kind of falls under my purview. So, so what's your what's your day like? You come in, you're like, you wake up, <laughs> you get you get excited, you're like, oh, I'm gonna come in and just crush this. Yeah. Today, well, today you know? I picked up my Nexus S phone and, <laughs> and I came S, over okay. here. <laughs> yeah, it's the new Android phone. Okay. <laughs> um, no, a typical day. I mean, it's a uh, a lot of meetings, meetings with designers, meetings with um, engineering and PM leaders across the company, like figuring out where are we going, what should we do, how do we, you know, how, how does UX enable um, the, the company to meet its goals and um, get products made. Sure. Um, I think since, like, we have one large user experience team, you know, it's, a, it's more than 200 people, and it's a mix of UI designers and user researchers and front-end developers. Um, we're working on a, a huge range of stuff, so a lot of it is really, like, how do we, um, invest our time and energy in the most useful ways possible, whether it's in terms of like designing actual products or taking a step back and helping teams imagine the future or doing like infrastructural work like style guides or things like that to ensure a coherent experience. So there's kind of like a portfolio of things that we that we take care of. So what's what's the process like, right? So somebody's got an idea, we're gonna we're just gonna do this, right? And then what what happens next? Is there is there a how does the brainstorm evolve? How does that? How do you take an idea out of that brainstorm? How do you put it into? How do you code it up? How do you launch it? What's the process? Yeah. I know it's a very creative process. I can't. I mean, I can't say that there's like one process that all of Google uses. It's right. kind of a variety of uh, uh, ways that um, ideas kind of emerge and then come <coughs> to life. So, um, you know, one example might be uh, some engineer has some really cool idea for something that could be built. Like maybe it's a feature for a product or maybe it's actually a new product. Or maybe it's a designer or it's a product manager who has this idea. And um, you, we kind of have a, it's like an ecosystem of startups in a way. Uh, people from different functions can kind of band together and um, make stuff. And then we just kind of, you know, and then we see if it, it kind of grows. And um, as it, we start prototyping things and as it gains um, traction, then maybe it becomes like a real product or a real feature that goes out on an experiment. There are other cases where we'll do brainstorming in more structured ways. Um, for instance, we might run like a design sprint, um, and sometimes that could be in collaboration with engineering and PM, or sometimes it's designers who get together um, for concentrated periods of time to, you know, kind of brainstorm and sketch things out, and then and then on a daily basis, kind of reconnecting. Um, with the engineering and product managers on the team to uh, 
Um, so yeah, we might run we might run like more structured design sprints where we'll we might have like specific design problems that we're trying to solve, or maybe it's a specific business problem, or um, there's a stimulus that gets input. So maybe it's like um, user research, maybe insights from our users that feed into the process. And uh, so so those kinds of workshops um, are definitely more structured and. Um, you know, that's where we will deliberately try to source a huge range of ideas um, and uh, and then kind of go through a process of, like, coming up with different conceptual directions um, and then vetting from there. Hmm. So. so you talk about engineers and designers and both of these working on one team. So people say that engineers actually kind of drive the product at, at Google, and I have numerous friends who say, Oh, if it's not an engineer, you know, it's not really worth going up and working there or something like that. And then I read these articles and they're all about, well, engineers sort of just own the product. You know, they're going to put the brains into it. This is what the, and so they sort of drive the whole process, right? So the designers, they're sort of assisting engineers as far as a product develops. Can you talk a little about the process there, the, the dynamic between designers and engineers and how they work together? to create a product. Sure. I mean, usually the, um, the collaboration is one of, uh, that consists of engineering, product management, and, and user experience. And within user experience, it can be a variety of uh, folks who are like UI designers or user researchers, um, prototypers, web developers, what have you. And um, uh, it's, it's a collaborative endeavor. I think in the most successful cases, they are true partners. Um, and usually it's kind of a triumvirate where you've got user experience, Product engineering, and they're working together to kind of conceive the future. And uh, you know, Google is a company that's been successful because of its technological innovation. So of course, engineers are going to be active participants in um, coming up with like what our what our offering is going to be and what our feature set is. But I think to say that engineering solely drives the the um, the the development of, and design of our products is maybe an overstatement. I think it's more collaborative than that. Is there ever uh, quarrels or fights between the two? Of course, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and I think that's really healthy. You know, you have to have room for creative conflict. Um, that's when you'll often get like the best solutions and the most creative solutions. Uh -huh. So, yeah, we actually encourage that. Can you think of an example of a, of a quarrel between <laughs> the two? Yeah, but none that I can really talk about right now. Okay. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So uh, let's let's jump into uh, using data to uh, drive your decisions. So um, uh, mul multiple uh, people have mentioned before. I know I've read Doug Bowman's blog post before about how um, data sort of just just drives everything. Every little decision, as far as a border size, uh, you know, forty-one shades of the blue <laughs> button, or it's just it's super, super, super data-driven. Mm -hmm. And his view on it was more of a, he, he couldn't really take all that, all that data, right? So he couldn't, couldn't work under those conditions. So I'm wondering, what's your take on, on that? How, do, how are designers influenced by data and other, other people that are saying that it's too much for them as well, that yeah. are designers? Well, I'm, I mean, Doug is a fantastic designer. He and I worked very closely together, and I was in that meeting where we talked about all these things. And I, I think, uh, you know, what, what you read in the blog post is uh, not necessarily the full picture and kind of leads you to believe that we're, like, live 
testing different border widths to see which one is should be the right width, and that was absolutely not the case. Um, it is true that we did do the live testing of the 41 shades of blue to see what our link color should be in our search results. And um, you know, one thing that's really interesting about search, and, and it, it, it could be true for any product, but we especially know that this is true for search. And I, I knew this even um, in working at Yahoo before I joined Google uh, when we worked on search, is that search is a very fragile interface. And um, just pixel-level changes can have an enormous impact on um, how people consume the page and use the product. And um, you, you can see this more easily with search, perhaps, because of the nature of the product. And you have a search results page, and you, there's a clear task. And um, maybe it's easier to define um, success metrics and things like that. But anything from like the, the typography, the letting on the page, whether results are bulleted or numbered or whatever, can have an impact. And so it's, it's, um, it's natural that we might, you know, and, and, we, and here we have access to the data. And we, so if you, if you have the information, why not use that at, as something to consider when you're making design decisions? So, so that's kind of how we, we looked at it. Um, and uh, certainly, you know, where, where there are variables that do have an impact on usage and the user experience, we want to take that into account. Um, but I, I do think it's, it's kind of amplified, it's kind of exaggerated um, the role of data uh, and the role that data plays in design at Google. Um, certainly for all the other products um, that we work on, and I would say even now for a large number of the initiatives that we have on search, um, it's much more about design and to some extent there's kind of uh, faith-based you know, design work, not just purely data-driven, but there's also kind of you know, your design instincts have to come into play, and, um, and there's an, a level of creativity. I mean, I think data can t only tell you so much, but it's not necessarily very useful when you're trying to conceive um, entirely new product concepts or directions, right? So you need to have kind of a, a, a basket of tools at your disposal to be able to make um, de decisions, whether it's like pixel-level design decisions or um, high-level product concept uh, decisions. So does a designer take, say they have a mock-up or something they want to submit, or a team, so there's a, maybe three or four or five of them that are submitted, how much testing actually has to be done and how much of it is actually thrown out? So there's, you know, there's one guy who's working on one mock-up, one design, he submits it, another guy does another iteration, another iteration, all that stuff gets submitted, and then some team over there is going to test all that stuff out, and then... How yeah, it doesn't work? doesn't quite work that way, um, and it also depends on the on the product. So um, for something like search, we have we're running experiments all the time, and uh, we'll host kind of hackathons where engineers and designers and product managers will come together, and they'll they'll hack together ideas that they might have for search or how to make that better or what like search in three years might look like or things like that. Um, so we're constantly running experiments and learning from those, and uh, even if and ex even if an experiment uh, is, is a failure, like that's a learning in some way that can feed into future work that we do. Um, in other cases, um, like if we're if we're doing design work for um, another product, say like Gmail or Docs or Maps or something like that, um, I, I think the design process would work pretty similarly to how it might to how any of you might be doing design work, which is um, you have particular goals and objectives that you're trying to achieve through the design. And uh, you might come up with like an array, like a range of possible solutions. 
and those will get vetted. Ideally, they would be prototyped, and you would have a chance to use them. And I think particularly with some of our apps, it's really important to prototype with live feeds of data because the experience can be dramatically different when you're actually using a design with your own data and you're trying to, you know, read your own mail as opposed to, you know, just like seeing a pretty static mock-up, right? So, um, so, so I think it's it's got to be a rapid, iterative prototyping and assessing kind of um, uh, a process. Do you guys document lessons learned from all the designs that haven't uh, made it through? Um, it, you know, in a systematic way across all of Google consistently, no. Yeah, but <laughs> um, you know, it's really up to the individual teams to do that. Yeah. So do you launch, do you ever launch products as experiments? Um, like Google Buzz. You know, I, I, <laughs> sometimes we launch products that turn into experiments. <laughs> okay. So, but, yeah, I mean, I think, um, especially, I mean, you might remember, like, Lively um, or maybe Google Wave. Uh, those were certainly, like, you know, cases where we didn't really know how the market was going to receive those products. And um, uh, in a way, Google is kind of an ecosystem of, Organisms and you know, the organisms are like different products, that, and you see like they kind of grow, and maybe they'll stick, and maybe they won't. And um, right. and uh, and but but even just just as the case in evolution, when you have um, things that are not successful, they like things aspects of those may reemerge in another place um, in a more successful way, right? So we take every opportunity to learn as much as we can, whether it's considered a success or a failure. Okay. So. Moving on, I, I want to ask you about Google Instant, and it's uh, it's been in the news lately. And I'm I'm you know it came out and it had this awesome page that said, oh we're gonna save you, we're gonna save you five seconds, two to five seconds on your search, and we're saving hundreds of millions of hours of search, and the things you know humanity is gonna be functioning <laughs> faster basically. Right? <laughs> Do we say that? <laughs> so. Um, it's a it's a great tool, and so a lot of people talk about it, and they you know they, I at least I've had a number of people mention to me you know they what is this thing? It's too fast. There's stuff flickering. Uh, I I I'm going to turn this thing off. How many people are bailing on this thing? We've actually had a really low opt out rate. Okay. Um, so it's been one of the most successful launches I think we've had, um, you know, in a while. Definitely for this year, I think one of the most remarkable ones. Um, it's been really well received, and uh, you know some of the things that we noticed in user testing. We user tested this a lot because um, we needed we wanted to make sure that we got it right. And um, there were some things that were very important to us, like uh, we didn't want it to be um, we didn't want it to get in people's way. You know, Google is like something that people use every day. It's part of your workflow, and if it's too um, like if it's, like if it's trying too hard, then it then it ends up getting in your way. So we wanted to make it. Uh, as helpful and as minimally intrusive as possible. And so there was a lot of care in making sure that um, uh, p that it wasn't disruptive to people. And in fact, we were delighted when we saw in user testing that people didn't even notice kind of um, Google Instant and the kind of the search results showing up. Like it just kind of worked for them. And um, so, so that was really good. Like to them, it just seemed like the search results appeared a lot faster than they usually do. So that was, that was really great. Uh, so when I first saw it, I mean, I, I get the point, you know, you, you search faster. Is it, and for you, it's, uh, you're displaying ads faster to people as well. Has it significantly moved the needle as far as 
you know, revenue goes or any of the ads displayed on there? Yeah, I don't think I can comment on okay. that. I certainly don't have any visibility into that. Okay. So. <laughs> no problem. And if I no did, problem. I couldn't tell you. How, how did they, that, what was the actual process that that specific product went through? Somebody came up with yeah. it? How did it evolve? You know, it's so funny because, like, I think the idea, the idea certainly wasn't new to 2010. Like, we, um, I mean, there are there, um, early concepts for this, you know, that date back a couple of years ago. But um, you might remember that we did kind of a visual redesign of um, the Google search results earlier this year. And um, in the process for doing that, we had, um, we had built all this based on a pro prototype. And this prototype, the foundation for that prototype was this concept of search as you type. And um, so, so it just kind of became like this meme. Like once people started seeing the prototype and started using it and started seeing it in demos, people were like, we have to build that. That is so cool. So um, that's really how it got a lot of traction. It's like the idea was around for a while, but um, the prototype really just brought it to life. And, and um, so, so that was really powerful. So what, what happens, like, just coming back to the, you talked a lot about brainstorming in some of the interviews I've heard, right? And so what happens when the idea after this, this brainstorm session? Because a lot of times people just brainstorm and they brainstorm and they brainstorm and it goes for, like, hours. And then people just come out and they're like, yeah, we did this. They got the meeting minutes down and this is what came out of it. And, and, and that kind of just, how do you take real results out of something like that yeah. and, and kind of, Go on with that. Yeah, it's really important to us that we walk out of brainstorms with a tangible prototype of something. And so okay. even if the prototype is like a, a sketch, like a skit, like two people acting something out, um, you know, that kind of prototypes the experience that you would have. Um, but, but ideally it would be, um, you know, something that's a, a very tangible um, prototype. So it gives you something concrete to walk away with and then go, go build maybe at a higher fidelity of a, of a prototype or something that can be, that people can interact with and kind of relate to rather than kind of these abstract ideas. So a drawing or prototype that people can relate to later on mm -hmm. to kind of move the idea forward? Yeah. And what's the, what's the approval process like or what, what happens after? Like um, you got this little drawing and, and that kind of, like somebody has to drive it, right? So one of somebody out of that brainstorming session is going to take that sketch and be like, this is what's going to, yeah. you know. It can be done in a variety of ways. I mean, sometimes we take a top-down approach where we kind of sell to certain stakeholders who are empowered to say, yes, we need to build this. We're going to allocate resources to it, and we're going to get it done. Sometimes it can be more of a bottom-up approach where we just kind of, like, sell it to some people who might feel passionate about it as well. And, um, and then we just kind of, in a skunk works way, you know, build it up to a certain point and then start selling it uh, across the organization. So it can happen top down or bottom up. Well, I'd love to hear your guys' questions. You've been listening to the discussion. We've got about 15 minutes there to, uh, for you guys to ask your questions. So uh, there we go. Go ahead. When you look at the, the future of web apps, do you see, um, you kind of envision Um, well, they're certainly becoming much more dynamic and interactive. I think animation is increasingly playing a huge role. Um, and those kinds of details are really important to get right. They add delight. They give you a sense of where you are. Um, and I think it's something that um, uh, some designers you know, just haven't really paid attention to in the past because 
you know, we're so used to like a static, you know, page-to-page -page model, or even um, for the products that are web apps today, it's kind of like, you know, driven through click, 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 and then keyboard shortcuts or things like that. And uh, I think we're at a point now where um, latency is, is less of an issue than it was before. The web technologies are more advanced, and so it just allows us to um, add in more delightful elements like that to, to, to the experience, to kind of create a more emotional, like just to appeal to people's emotional um, uh, connection to the product. Gentlemen, here. Tyree, Greg Biggers from Ginomera. I love that you talk about adding delight. Yeah. That's a really powerful concept, I think. Um, how do you, how at Google, in the data-driven part of your design, how do you think about delight in measurable ways? What are you doing to measure user delight? We don't. Uh, well, I mean, we have like a. We have internal metrics that we refer to as user happiness. Um, I can't get into details around around that. Um, delight, that's an interesting one because I think that's one where it's really hard to define in concrete terms. You know, it's like, well, I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. Um, we are, I mean, looking at, like, how do we measure the success of our products or how do we measure quality of our products? Like, how do we create metrics to kind of uh, make sure that we're focusing on the right things um, rather than, like, have our products be the sum of features or things like that? So um, I think that's something that's really in development and in, in part of an ongoing conversation. Yeah. Uh, there's a lady up there, so let's yeah. go to her. Uh, what was the role of Sergio in building or creating the Chrome OS? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Chrome OS. The Chrome OS, the, the OS or the hardware? Both. Uh, the hardware was not done by this team. It was uh, outsourced to an industrial design firm. Um, the the browser and the OS itself um, was designed um, by a couple of designers on the team, and um, really talented folks. And uh, I mean, I had to say, what's really remarkable about their skill set is that they their backgrounds are um, they're they're software engineers, but they're amazing designers, amazing eye for visual design and interaction design. Um, one of them was the inventor of Quicksilver. You know, just really fantastic. So um, I think that really add, add contributed to, to kind of the success of that design because uh, of the, the skill sets of these folks. And I'm guessing, sorry, may I follow yeah, no. And I'm guessing Yeah, I mean, I think they're just going to start feeling more dynamic and rich. Um, so, uh, in, well, okay, so when I think of a website, it, I think of like a, a page to page model. You click on a link, and then the page refreshes, and it goes to the next page, or like the, the state changes, and, it, and then you get a new page, right? For a web app, uh, I, I think of it as um, a multi state kind of page, right? So within a single page, when you click on stuff, you're not necessarily getting a full page reload, but you, things are happening within the page, they're more dynamic. So like, um, does that make sense? Yeah. 
<laughs> okay, books and websites. Um, uh, well, you know, it's funny. I don't have a lot of time to read books. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I think there's some really excellent UX books out there. And, uh, and Luke, Luke is a great one on forms. In fact, I think all of the books that are published by um, Rosenfeld Media are really fantastic. I mean, his books are really focused on... Um, you know, appealing to the UX community and or people who are especially interested in UX. Um, if people are new to UX, I think uh, a, a common book that is often referred to is Steve Krug's Don't Make Me Think. I think it gives you a really nice foundation for thinking about, like, user testing and uh, things like that. So, um, um, you know, the elements of interface design, I mean, there's, there's just there's a lot. Um, but I think it's important to get kind of a, a range because UX is so multidisciplinary. So, and um, increasingly what I see is that the designers who have um, multiple skills and not just specialists in one particular area, but are really you know, multi-skilled in front-end technology as well as interaction design, user research, and visual design, those are the ones who are the most highly sought after by companies and the ones that are the most successful inside companies. Um, so in terms of books and websites and things like that, I think it's important to make sure you kind of cover the range and learn and grow in the different areas where, you know, perhaps you're the, the weakest. Um, yeah. Jonathan, go ahead. Uh, have you seen anything recently in terms of anything that's tangentially related to what Google does, whether that's search or smartphones or browsers or web applications? Have you seen anything recently that you wish you could just steal? Or something like that? <laughs> I really understand the question. It's it's, it's kind of like you're asking, what are the really great products? Oh, okay. Well, th- so that's more straightforward. <laughs> 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 it's like, what am I steal? Um, <laughs> um, you know, I really admire Quora's design. Um, I think that's been a very successful design, not only um, visual but also interaction, and just in terms of how they have built-in um, mechanisms for ensuring high-quality content. Um, so it's like, you know, for a Q&A site, it didn't turn into like a, like a Yahoo Answers, you know, with really spammy. Like, there's a lot of really rich, high-quality content there. And it's one, of the, it's one of my favorite sites to visit on a daily basis now. Um, so I, I think, you know, kudos to Rebecca Cox um, and the team there. Um, I think they did a fantastic job. So when can we expect the acquisition? <laughs> <laughs> I think that gentleman had his hand up first. Uh, yeah, this is kind of related, but um, how do you, uh, how much weight do you put behind competitive analysis? Uh, do you look at uh, Amazon? Do you look at Bing? Um, and take little bits and pieces and just run your own tests and comparison? It's not a huge part of our um, development and design practices. I mean, I think it is important to understand what your competitors are doing and, um, and, 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 and where they're going. Um, but you don't want to be looking over your shoulder all the time either. You know, you want to be looking ahead and thinking about, like, how do you leverage the strengths that you have and um, uh, to, to, to create an offering that's kind of unique and interesting in ways that nobody else can, can compete. So... Okay. 
Go they're ahead. so polite. <laughs> so, uh, do you have any tips for an interaction team getting traction in the actual decision process of the company? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. You know, I, I find that um, it's really helpful to present a range of options. And so what we've been starting to do now is to present like three to four options, whether it's for visual design directions or um, concept um, for what a product offering should be or feature set. And I mean, even like, and ideally there would be three or four viable alternatives um, because I think just in, in the act of like offering those up, it really helps to force conversations around what is the most important thing, where do we want things to go, and it allows people to juxtapose the trade-offs in a very tangible way, um, whereas like I think conversations in the abstract without like the actual mock-ups um, can get you almost nowhere. You end up get, you end up like fighting religious wars in some way. Yeah. So I think that that alone has been one of the biggest um, uh, techniques that we've been able to use. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about what you said about faith-based design? And the the need or role of user research or following standards versus <clears throat> intuition, as you put it. A follow up on it, or talk talk more about it, yeah. or <laughs> how how important is it? How do you balance um, uh, doing things based off of research and uh, <clears throat> kind of uh, standards of what's out there versus you know oh I have a cool idea and I think it'll work. Let me design something and then be tested after that or, or yeah. Yeah, um, I, I think research is an input. Uh, there's kind of a feed forward, and then there's also feedback. So you use user research to help uh, uh, as a stimulus to inspire new ideas. Um, and then you can also use user research to um, help inform like how to improve something or how to iterate. And both are really important. Um, at the same time, uh, you, you want to be always new. Right, always fresh. So um, even when uh, you feel like you've reached some local maximum, I think it's really important to always take a step back and think about like, how can this be better? Or how can this be always new, always fresh? And sometimes that's not necessarily going to be informed or driven by user research. Um, so there, like, actually within the company, sometimes we, we refer to it as faster horse. Is, you know, the story is like, you know, if you ask people, before cars were invented, if you ask people, you know, well, how, how would you like to get around? They'd say, oh, like a faster horse. Um, and people wouldn't necessarily, you know, it, like user research isn't necessarily going to tell you, oh, we should build a car. But it does help um, point out kind of the needs, the latent needs that people have that are pain points that might be opportunities for you to kind of innovate in that area. So when you say faith-based, what do you mean where you're, you're... Well, sometimes design decisions are just, they, they, are, they have to be based on good judgment, right? There's maybe, uh, maybe it's, it's difficult or, or hard to get data, or maybe no amount of data can, can tell you uh, what a design should, should be like. There's kind of a, a mood or an aesthetic that isn't necessarily data-driven. I mean, it's something could be logically correct, but it could be emotionally incorrect, right? And uh, sometimes... I mean, and there are user research methods that you can use to try to get at that, um, but even that is, is qualitative, subjective data, you know, in small quantities. It's all based on user attitude and perceptions, which is still data, um, but, you know, it's, it's different than kind of like 
live testing a shade of blue and seeing if that's successful based on some arbitrary success metric. So I'm assuming in your position you do a lot of critique of mm -hmm. other designers. You've had a lot of uh, people on your team. What's, if, if any, is there any common piece of advice you find yourself giving over and over? Or in other words, if there's one mm -hmm. piece of advice you could give to, to user interface designers and user experience designers in the world, what, what would it be? Wow. <laughs> no, that's a big <laughs> or, question. If, if, there is, if there is a recurring theme. Hmm. I don't know if, if that's really fair, like in terms of actual design, because it's so um, dependent on the context and the product and the usage. You know, there's no universal law. Um, although I would say the one universal law at Google probably, like the, the, one of the biggest things we care about is around latency and speed, because we know that like no matter how great the product is, no matter how innovative the product is, if it's slow and like the page loads really slowly, like people are just going to leave and not use it. So that's probably one of the, the biggest things that's, um, you know, like that, that we value a lot as a, as a company. And I think that has a lot of design considerations um, that feed into it. But, um, but design in general is so based on context and usage that it's hard to, to get a rule of thumb. There's a lady back there. <laughs> I haven't seen explicit product plans for that, but <laughs> um, Google TV was a fun one. Uh, you know, there was a lot of, um, I think early on, like because we were an integral part of the team very early on from, from the early concept uh, phases, we were able to establish a culture around rapid design and prototyping and, and evaluation. Uh, so we built a usability lab that simulated a, a living room environment, um, which was really fun because you could go in there and just watch TV, <laughs> um, and it was like working. <laughs> um, so, so I mean, but the design process was really, um, I mean, very similar to any other design process that we would approach um, for our products at Google. Now, there was also kind of um, the hardware aspect of it, which um, we partnered with Logitech and Sony on those kinds of things. So that was so. Yes, we played with physical molds, and we did do a lot of usability testing on um, different kinds of text input methods, like whether you had like a huge keyboard sitting on your lap or a little remote um, or using your phone. Um, and so those those were some those were added uh, aspects of the design problem that you wouldn't normally see in designing um, other products at Google, for example. But uh, in general, the process was the same. We're probably out of time. It's 1 p.m. right on the dot. Uh, I'd like to thank Irene for coming out and having such an awesome soapbox. And thank you guys. Uh, see you guys probably next year. Uh, stay tuned to the email, and uh, we'll have more great speakers. <laughs>